Hi, everyone. It's Mike Morse. Another episode of Open Mike coming from my house because we are no longer in our offices for the short term, hopefully. Today, we, have, we are continuing our discussion about our messed up criminal justice system here in Michigan. I'm excited to have John Cooper, who's an attorney. He's the executive director of Safe and Just Michigan and is, and is responsible for the organization's strategic vision and direction. John's research and advocacy is focused on Michigan's adult criminal legal system with an emphasis on strategies to reduce Michigan's prison population, remove barriers to successful reentry, and increase the use of effective alternatives to incarceration, all things we've talked about here on Open Mic. So let's welcome John Cooper to the show. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one my whole career. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's great to be yeah. here. Thanks for being here. Where are you uh, calling in from? So my viewers and listeners know. Yeah, sure. So I am, uh, like you, broadcasting from my home. Uh, I live in Grand Rapids, which is uh, the city I grew up in. I uh, grew up here, went to Calvin College, which is one of the, the post-secondary uh, institutions here in Grand Rapids. And then I, I went to law school at the University of Virginia and, and graduated about 12 years ago. So love Grand Rapids, and I'm glad you're uh, here with us today. Before we get before I jump in, tell me what Safe and Just Michigan is. Yeah, we're, we're a research uh, policy and advocacy organization, um, sort of a combination think tank plus um, legislative uh, advocacy organization. So I'm, I'm the executive director prior to taking over last year. I was the policy director here. Um, we also have uh, several outreach and communication staffers, uh, we have a criminologist on staff and uh, uh, a couple folks who support the policy work that I, I am leading. Um, we're based in Lansing, but we haven't been there since March, uh, you know, due to the pandemic. And thankfully, the legislature has continued working during that time. There's been a bunch of uh, committee hearings over Zoom that we've participated in. And, you know, we, we appreciate the um, legislature's work in moving uh, many reforms along during this difficult time. It's it's honestly been a much more productive legislative period than I had any reason to anticipate. Is Michigan too tough on criminals? Uh, Michigan does not have the best criminal justice policy, um, but it's not the worst either. I mean, the, the, the basic thing that I, I think folks need to understand is that as currently constituted, our criminal justice system is about punishment, not public safety. And what I mean by that is, um, if you look at the policies that um, we as a state have adopted over the last 40, 50 years, the emphasis of them is being tough on crime, which means punishing crime very harshly. But it doesn't do things like help people who get in trouble, get back on their feet, get jobs, become, as people like to say, productive members of society, what we do is we hold people's criminal records over their heads for the rest of their lives. And that is really a huge problem because 95% of people who go to prison um, are released ultimately and 
um, are told they need to become productive members of society, but they're not necessarily given the tools to do that. And that doesn't even uh, deal with the many, many people who don't end up going to prison in the first place. I think most people don't understand that um, only about 20% of felony cases result in any kind of prison time to begin with. And um, many don't result in any jail time. You know, there's so, a lot of people running around with, with criminal records that are 20 years old that have, you know, even at the time, didn't do anything we as a society thought was serious enough to punish with incarceration. But we as a society won't give those people jobs or safe and affordable housing. Um, so I agree with you that we're probably too quick to throw people into prison, although the statistics sound like it's not as many as some may think. But, it, you know, if there was no prison for the crimes, what's going to deter people from committing crimes? Well, there's lots to deter people. It, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's a criminal justice system thing. But, um, you know, the difference between sending someone to jail for a few weeks and sending someone to prison for a few years isn't that large from a deterrent standpoint. You know, it, well, what do you mean by that? Well, so there's certain uh, kinds of crime where it's a lack of opportunity. So a person's poor, there's not job opportunities. And if you're not addressing those underlying causes, um, sending someone to jail for a brief time or prison for a longer time isn't going to fix those problems. It's actually going to make those problems worse because the person has been separated from community, community supports, and is going to be trying to get a job um, with a felony record um, instead of, uh, you know, job trainings, other means of support that might actually help a person get on a different path. So I think the problem with a punishment-based system is that it's not addressing root causes. It puts all its eggs in one basket and that basket is, 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 is punishing people and assuming that if we're harsh enough with people, they'll behave differently. So what does safe and just Michigan advocate for instead of prison time? So it's not an either or, you know, it depends on the case. And certainly there are, are cases where if a person is, is, a, is a danger to society, you know, and they're not willing to change their behavior, some sort of consequence or even prison time is warranted. But the vast majority of the criminal cases in our state do not involve someone who's fundamentally a danger to others in the community. Just one data point, half of all our criminal cases in Michigan are traffic offenses. And the yeah. vast majority of those are low-level misdemeanors that many people would argue should not be criminal to begin with. And we're talking in this case about, say, driving with a suspended license. 5% uh, of all licensed drivers in Michigan get their license suspended annually. And 95% of those suspensions are because a person was too poor, too poor to pay a finer fee. And you know, that person's going to be poor after you find them, after you send them to jail. Then the issue is poverty. It's it's not public safety at all. It's not, these suspensions aren't even related to a person's driving behavior. It's just they have an outstanding parking ticket or something like that. And there's many, many cases. Wait, so wait, wait, let me make sure I got that statistic right. So you're saying half of the people in Michigan jails are traffic related? So it's half of all criminal cases, but um, if you look at the leading causes of admission to jail in Michigan, many of those are uh, traffic. And it's, you know, drunk driving is, is a major one for sure, but 
There's several others that are really regulatory crimes. For example, driving with a suspended license is the third leading cause of admission to jail in Michigan. You know, and I've never had this discussion, uh, John, but like, you know, what is, what is, what is your thought process? Does, is jail a deterrent for people driving without a valid license for, for drunk drivers uh, who don't injure someone, let's say, um, are those deterrents for them not to do it again? Or are there better methods for that? Drunk driving is a tough case because it does involve, you know, in many cases, addiction. Um, but I, I do think addressing the underlying addiction is more effective than just throwing someone into jail. Uh, we see a lot of people with repeat offenses um, uh, coming through the system. But, you know, drunk driving, I think we can agree, is, is a risky behavior. Um, and that's not something that we are talking about in most cases with driving with a suspended license. In most cases, that license was suspended because of a person's inability to pay a fine or fee, not the way they drive. And, you know, the, the reality for people in Southeast Michigan, particularly residents of the city of Detroit, is that, you know, there's not meaningful public transportation. People need to drive to get to work, to get their kids to school, uh, to go to the grocery store. And they have the need to work and take their kids to school and go to the grocery store, whether or not their license is suspended. So we're putting people in a situation where they have to choose between um, abiding by the license suspension and meeting their daily needs. Yeah. I, I mean, I think most, I mean, at least my brain, you know, can see the line, you know, a chronic drunk driver with the addiction. I mean, either they, 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 they should probably spend some time in jail if they have repeated offenses. Maybe they'll get sober. Maybe they don't want to go back to jail. Maybe they'll think twice before they get into a car drunk again versus the people driving because they can't afford to renew their license or they have too many tickets to pay to renew that license. That doesn't seem like a good use of our jails. Um, so that one's, it, in my opinion, is a little easier. Yeah. Um, what are some other things we should be thinking about in this? I mean, I, we've had a bail, we've had a bail, the bail uh, organization, the bail project on the podcast. Yeah. Fascinating yeah. organization. Uh, really grateful that they're here in Detroit now. I think they also do stuff in Grand Rapids, um, if I'm not mistaken, but they're, they're, they're giving, they're bailing people out for free. Yeah. And you they don't have to pay it back. They just have to show up to court and the money comes back and they get to give it away. Are you familiar with, I mean, that yeah. is a, uh, uh, a great thing that, that, and they have, they told me they have plenty of money to get most people out of jail who are sitting there on stupid things with uh, bails under $5,000. I thought, wow, what a great organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be easier if we just changed the way we do bail in the first place, but you know, that's for the legislature. But are, you, are you guys working on that? Um, there's no bills right now, or I believe there are bills in right now, but they're not expected to be brought up in committee. Um, I think the hope is that there will be some more activity around bail in, in the next legislative session, which starts in January. So a couple things to, to know about bail. So the first thing is that at any given time, about half of the people who are in jail in Michigan, and that's about 8,000 people on any given day, are held pretrial, and and the majority of those people are there because they can't pay bail. And you know, bails in the less than five thousand dollar range, in in most cases, are going to be low level um, misdemeanors uh, or low level felonies. And those are in most cases not 
crimes where we would anticipate that person is a threat to the community if they're not held pretrial. Yet we have uh, a bail system that operates um, on the assumption that people should have to pay to be released pretrial. And that's not consistent with the constitution. There's well-established Supreme Court cases that um, one called Salerno from the eighties, you may be familiar with that says, you know, the presumption should be uh, a PR bond. That is a person's presumed innocent. They should be re released pretrial um, absent evidence that they're going to be a flight risk or a, a threat to the community. And unfortunately that's not really the way we do bail in Michigan. Um, so the bail project, uh, which is housed in the Detroit justice center, it's a partner organization of ours that is doing terrific work in the city of Detroit. Um, what they're doing is, is twofold. First, they're doing a proof of concept for a cash free bail system. So if you're bailing people out and tracking whether they come to court or not, you can demonstrate that people tend to come to court when they're supposed to, um, if you choose not to hold them. And this is something we've seen across the country. Um, appearance rates are over 90% in jurisdictions that have rolled back cash bail. Um, oftentimes just having a text message reminder system is enough to get people to court or most people to court. And the nice thing about that kind of a system is all the negative consequences of pretrial incarceration are avoided. So if you think about, um, say you're, you're arrested driving home from work, um, you're driving with suspended license. Um, so you're booked into jail, you can't afford bail. Okay, what happens to your kids, right? If, if you're in jail for a couple nights, you're not picking them up from school, the school's gonna call Child Protective Services. You know, those, those kids are gonna be taken out of your custody. What happens if you don't show up to your job for a few days? Your, your employer is not likely to be understanding about that, right? So what we have is a system that detains even low-level people pretrial and blows up their lives with no real obvious public safety benefit. And so we have people driven further into desperation, their families are torn apart, and ultimately there's no public safety justification for it in, in most of these cases. Now, I mean, there, there are certainly cases where, you know, um, I'm thinking of stalking cases or domestic violence cases in particular where there may be um, greater reasons to try and detain somebody, but driving with a suspended license, many of these other low-level offenses, there's just the, the factual basis for detention really isn't there if what you're looking at is public safety, but that's not what folks are looking at. You know, judges are looking at, you know, um, can I can I help fund my court with um, this bail money? You know, can I ensure this person's gonna show up because it's a pain in my butt if the person doesn't show up? And, and those aren't the values that should be animating our criminal justice system. No, it's I mean, just too intrusive. The statistics that, the, that the, the two young ladies who came in and talked to us were, were, you know, I don't remember them off the top of my head. It was a great episode. And, but, you know, 90% or more of the people are showing up for their court yeah. date, right? It's yeah. not even their money. Yeah. So bail, Traditionally, if you give $1,000 for bail, you want that $1,000 back so you're gonna show up at court, right? That's layman terms, that's basically what it's for. So the bail project, it's not, it's not that person's money, it's donor's money, it's my money, it's your money. And these people are showing up 
which shows that it's not working the way courts think it is. And the judges who've been there for 20, 30, 40 years are just set in bail, even though they don't need to. So I'm excited that there's going to be some movement next year, John. And I'm, I'm throwing my hat in the ring. If you need anything, <laughs> if you need an advocate to come up to Lansing and talk, That's um, great. I'm volunteering my time. That's awesome. I think we will probably take you up on that. So um, is it true that Michiganders are, are have longer sentences than other states? Yeah. So there, there, we actually do have data on that. That It's not um, completely current. Um, the best study on it was done eight or 10 years ago, but um, it was uh, the Pew Charitable Trust did a study on the uh, length of stay within the prison system. And that's a term of art, but basically it's measuring um, how long are people actually being incarcerated? Because in Michigan, we have what's called an indeterminate sentencing scheme. So people get a minimum sentence and then a range of years above that. And length of stay actually measures sort of within that range, when is a person being paroled? So like if you get a five to 20, um, are you getting paroled at five or are you getting paroled at 20? And historically, Michigan um, was paroling people long after their first eligibility date. And because of that, and also because of certain sentencing policies that we have, we have sentencing guidelines that are, I think, harsh in comparison to other states and also a habitual offender law that is very widely used. Um, we, we're still, we're doing some research on that law right now, but the early uh, conclusions are that something like 20% of people who are sent to prison in Michigan are um, charged habitually. Um, and that's a big number. So what we see is um, the average length of stay in Michigan's prisons has increased um, dramatically over the last, say, 25 years. Wow. Um, that is, I should say, in part, a product of the fact that some lower level offenders, particularly drug offenders, are not being sent to prison as often. So Michigan had some of the harshest drug laws in the nation in the late 90s, and those were rolled back uh, in two phases, first in 98 and then in 2003. But the, the result of that has actually been that Michigan has a pretty low proportion of drug offenders in the system. Uh, less than 8% of everybody in the prison system in Michigan is serving time for a drug offense. So that's still a big number though, 8%. I mean, how many thousands of people is that? Yeah, so that is gonna be a couple thousand people. Right now we've got about 35,000 people in the system. Is that down um, because of COVID? Uh, it's down because of COVID and it's also down um, over the last 15 years. And um, in 2006 and seven, there were um, 51,500 people in the prison system in Michigan across. Yeah, across almost 50 facilities. And now we're, do we're down to 35,000 across less than 30 facilities. Do we know how many are, are down because of COVID? I've always been curious. Like, I know they've been letting people out because of, uh, yeah. they don't want them sick and dying in prison. Do you have any clue on the numbers? Uh, I, top of my head, so I, we, we were closer to 37, 38,000 before the pandemic. So they're down several thousand, but, um, that's not primarily due to increased paroles. Um, it's actually due to decreased admissions. So they, they put a, a moratorium on new admissions to the prison system at the start of the pandemic 
So folks were being convicted, but they were being held in their local jails and not being transferred to the MDOC because MDOC didn't want sick people coming in and there was limits, you know, they, they didn't have the capacity to test um, everybody in the system. So they, they are doing some more paroles, but um, one thing that folks need to understand is that the vast majority of people in the system are not currently eligible for parole. So MDOC only has jurisdiction to consider roughly 15% of the system um, for parole at any, any given time. Um, 70% of, of the people in the system are not eligible for parole consideration because they haven't served their minimum sentence. That's a product of our truth and sentencing law. And then the remaining 15% are serving life sentences, most of them life without parole. How many people are in the Michigan prison system for marijuana-related offenses? Do we have that number? Um, we looked into that prior to the ballot initiative legalizing it in uh, 2018, and there were not many. Um, the reality of marijuana is really more when it comes to arrests, admissions to jail, uh, the consequences people who are convicted of a marijuana crime face when looking for jobs. Um, it's it's not primarily a prison issue. I um, when when we looked, there was maybe a dozen or so people serving uh, marijuana offenses in the system. Um, th there may be more than that, but um, th there's not a large large number. But um, marijuana possession is one of the ten leading um, reasons people go to jail in Michigan, or at least it was prior to legalization. Yeah, they better not be anymore. <laughs> um, so, so that brings me to expungement yeah. and, um, I'd like you to give a basic explanation of what expungement is, who's eligible and what, you know, what's going on in Michigan, because there's been lots of talk about it. I know your organization is, is a leader in trying to get more crimes off people's records, mm -hmm. but let's give a primer to the people who don't know who are watching and listening what it is. Sure. So the basic thing to understand is that the government chooses to keep public uh, criminal records, you know, that, and that sticks with the person for their entire life. If you committed a crime when you were 17 or 18 and you don't, um, if you're not able to get that record sealed, that's just going to be following you for the rest of your life. And that's the default position in our system. And um, we do have a criminal record sealing statute. It was passed in the 1960s, but it's it's only available to a very narrow range of people with records. And um, it's actually a very difficult process for the average person to navigate without legal assistance. So the eligibility standards historically have been, um, you can apply to have your criminal record sealed if you're more than five years out from the end of your sentence or community supervision, and you have no more than one felony or two misdemeanors on your record, and that's for all time. So if you if you have a felony when you're 18 and you get driving with a suspended license three times over the next 30 years, that felony cannot be expunged. And um, when we say expunged, what we mean is there's no public record. In Michigan, we have a system where uh, criminal records are set aside or sealed, but they are not erased from law enforcement's purview. So there's always going to be a non-public record um, of a crime in Michigan. The issue is really, should that
criminal record follow you for the rest of your life and show up on background checks when you're looking for a job or looking for an apartment. And we know from, from research that the vast majority of employers do background checks and the vast majority of landlords do background checks and that there are hundreds of thousands of people in the state that are having to deal with the consequences of old criminal records on any given day. Um, and in order to uh, answer truthfully on a application for whatever it is, um, you need it expunged legally yep. so they can answer no. Have, yep. you have you been convicted of a crime? No, you can answer it no if it's been expunged and if it isn't, it's a crime to answer it no. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so we have this petition process where, you know, if if you are eligible to apply, what you do is you gather the certified records of the original conviction, um, you get a set of fingerprints, you go and file a petition with the court that convicted you, and they do an FBI background check through the state police, um, they notify the prosecutor, in many cases the victim as well, and then there's a hearing where the judge makes a, a determination of whether you, uh, based on your behavior since the crime, have um, earned the right to see your record sealed. And, you know, it, grant rates for these um, expungement petitions vary from place to place. Um, I think they're pretty high in Southeast Michigan, um, but, you know, many people are not eligible to apply. Uh, we know that roughly 3,000 people a year are able to successfully navigate this process, but we're seeing um, roughly 50,000 people convicted of felonies every year and many more convicted of misdemeanors every year. So we have in the neighborhood of 2 million people with criminal records in Michigan and we're only sealing two to 3,000 a year. And they need, they usually need a lawyer. It's very hard to do on their own. Yeah. And real, so it, it, tell me what kind of felonies, is every type of felony expungible um, no, there's, there's, um, it, it's sort of the, what you'd expect. So no criminal sexual conduct of any kind is eligible, anything punishable by a maximum of life. So that takes your major sort of, uh, violent crimes off the table. And then there's, there's also limitations around, um, repeat offense, domestic violence, child abuse, human trafficking. So we're, we're talking about, um, you know, sort of, Certainly property crimes, your lower level um, assaultive crimes, and then drug crimes are, are and of course, traffic, because traffic is actually a surprisingly large chunk of, of, of the criminal justice system. Although I should say that until the, the recent expungement reforms passed, traffic offenses were not eligible for expungement. So tell us about the new laws that passed recently. And did you guys have a hand in that? Yeah, I mean, we've been working on it. It was a that there's a lot of credit to go around when you know you pass a big bipartisan um, reform that's going to help a lot of people. But yeah, we've been involved with it since um, the start of this legislative session in 2019. Um, there's really two components to this um, package of bills. The first one is to expand eligibility for the petition process. So as I mentioned, traffic offenses were not eligible to be sealed. And that's a major um, fraction of the criminal justice system in Michigan. Um, in addition, possession and use convictions for marijuana um, were given um, eligibility in light of the ballot initiative. 
Um, there was a significant expansion in the number of convictions that people um, can have expunged and can apply for expungement for. And there was also um, an effort to bring um, expungement policy more in line with charging practices. So historically, these this one felony, two misdemeanor limit was strictly enforced, even if, you know, you have two felonies that arise out of the same arrest. You know, say you're you're caught with drugs and you get charged with both possession and conspiracy or, you know, intent to distribute that, that that's two or three felonies. Um, and you're out of luck historically. So now if the um, multiple charges arise out of the same incident, they can be counted as one for purposes of those limits. And is there anything, and this law has been signed? Yeah, it was signed by Governor Whitmer on October 12th, um, but those eligibility um, expansions will not become effective until April. I, I don't know why the legislature chose to do it that way, but I believe it had something to do with the idea that there may be a large number of new petitions filed and they wanted sort of courts and clerk's offices to have some time to get ready for that. Did they do anything to make it easier for people to file for an expungement without going through the expense of an attorney? Yes. And this is, this is actually, in my view, the more important part of the package. They passed what is known as a clean slate bill and we call that the automatic expungement. And it, what that says is that if you've stayed out of trouble for uh, 10 years, then your record will be automatically sealed under certain circumstances. So you don't have to do anything. The person doesn't have to do anything. That's right. Yeah. But how, and, and how is the person watching or listening to this after April, how are they able to check or know, are they, are they going to get in trouble if they say no to that crime on that next residential application, work application? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I should add that for the automatic expungement, that's not going to affect in April. It's actually got a two-year implementation period because there are a number of things that need to happen administratively within the state police and the state courts um, in order to make the automatic expungement um, possible. So that's going to be effective in October 22. Um, but, but yes, during the next two years, we and others are going to be working on setting up an infrastructure where people can check their, their status and uh, learn whether their record has been sealed. Um, and we're also going to be doing a lot of outreach and education to make sure people know that this is happening. Because obviously, if, if they don't know, they're going to keep checking the box. That's creating so many problems for them. That is a major uh, thing that you're going to be working on, it sounds like. And yeah. I, I think uh, once you get that set up, I think you should come back on open mic and we'll teach the public uh, what they need to do or what they need to check or how they check whether or not their crimes have been expunged so they yep. can then move forward and get housing and get jobs, which is just so important for so many people. Yeah, I, I would love to do that. And just to underscore, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are going to get their criminal records sealed. There's Estimates that the Detroit mayor's office uh, put into the record during the legislative process that estimate the you know the the day um, the automatic expungement becomes effective, 122,000 people in Wayne County will get their criminal records sealed. Wow! Yeah, it's it there should be a party that day. <laughs> I hope so. And you know, in many cases, we're talking about old traffic offenses, 
old marijuana convictions, old low-level stuff that is not um, is, is not um, the kind of thing that should be holding a person back all, all these many years later. I mean, one, one of the things that I, I think it's important for people to understand about the automatic expungement, it, it, it really is focused on the easy cases, old low-level convictions where, you know, if the person went through the trouble of applying through the, the petition process, those are the cases judges would almost always grant. And, you know, because this petition process is so resource intensive, both for the petitioner and for the courts, it just makes more sense to say, you know what, these are probably going to be granted anyway, let's just grant them. And, you know, this concept, um, Michigan is, is the third state um, that we're aware of to pass this concept. Pennsylvania was the first in 2018. Utah was the second in 2019, and then we followed here in 2020. Um, but our our law is significantly broader than the Pennsylvania or Utah laws, which were um, focused on very low level misdemeanors. We do have some higher level misdemeanors and felonies that are eligible here. And we think that'll bring a lot of relief to people. Who are Great for Pennsylvania to take the lead. One of my new favorite states, yeah. I'll let you guess why. Uh, <laughs> that and Georgia, weirdly, I just, uh, very pleased with those states these sure. days. But um, that's great that they took the lead. Uh, it feels like uh, Detroiters, as well as all Michiganders, need this law. Good work, John, uh, for for safe and just Michigan, getting that passed with all the ar- other organizations that helped you. Please come back when you have more details so we can get the word out, because I think that's a, probably a pretty tough thing for people to have to, you know, want to work and have to put on their application that, they're a, that they've had a felony 10, 15, 20 years ago or some yeah. low-level misdemeanors that just, you know, thwart their opportunities. And I love that this new law is in effect to, to, help, to help our fellow citizens get, get back on track. So kudos to you and your organization. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much. We're, we're really excited about it, you know, and we want to be a model for the rest of the nation. I mean, this is something that it's a problem in every state. It's not just Michigan. I mean, we have our own issues, but um, the reality is like every state has hundreds of thousands of people with criminal records. And um, we as a society need to do something to to clean those up so people can move on with their lives. I mean, there's research and I'll I'll mention a couple, I think important data points um, on this. So there's research that says annually there's, Eighty-seven billion dollars in lost productivity that arises out of people who are locked out of the labor force or underemployed due to criminal records. Um, and there's research that uh, this was really critical to the Clean Slate campaign. There's research that came out of University of Michigan um, Law School, where two professors there studied outcomes for people who received expungements in Michigan over, I, I think it was a ten-year period. And what they found was within the first year of getting those records sealed, those folks on average saw a 23% increase in their personal income and 11% increase in employment rates. Wow. We're we're talking about huge, huge differences in people's lives. And- That's amazing. That's a great- I mean, and you know, I I would ask folks to imagine, I mean, if we had 100,000 people in Metro Detroit see that kind of increase, what would it do for the, what would it do for the area? What, what would it do for communities? What would the it do for everything? Yeah, so 
you know, there was widespread support from the business community for these reforms as well. And that was, I think, sig significant in helping get them done. Um, but, you know, for those that might be skeptical sort of about the public safety side of this, I think it's really important that folks know the professors that did this University of Michigan study also looked at recidivism rates. And what they found is that people whose records are sealed, and again, these are people that have stayed out of trouble for five years or more, um, those people um, commit crimes at a rate equal to or less than members of the general public. So what we're seeing is that these, these folks are not more likely to commit a crime than a member of the general public, but until their records are sealed, they're being treated as, as if they are. And that's a real problem from a yeah. productivity and opportunity standpoint. So April, it goes into effect, but it may take a couple of years till people start seeing the automatic expungements. Yeah, we, we hope that um, we'll be able to roll out some of the automatic before the two-year um, implementation period is over. But ultimately, you know, that's up to the administration and, and um, the speed at which the system can be built. Um, what's going into effect in April is expanded eligibility for the traditional petition process. And I, I do hope folks will look at that. But as you mentioned, it is a process that's challenging to navigate. And we don't see, you know, thousands and thousands of expungements granted every year. I and mean, that's why we need the automatic. Do you have um, resources on safeandjustmi.org that people could do this themselves? Do you have the forms? Do you have the pleadings that they can pay and go in front of a judge and ask for expungements? Yeah, we've got resources. And um, the state court administrator's office has a very helpful form or two forms. So right. the, there's a two-page form called MC227 that's on their website. And that guides a person through everything they need to do to apply for expungement. And then MC228 is the proposed order that you would hand to a judge to, to get them to issue um, if you do successfully navigate the hearing process. All right. So these will give you step-by-step -step instructions if you want to get uh, a crime off your record. Sealed is the correct terminology. Yeah. Um, if you go to safeandjustmi.org, we'll put that in our show notes. We'll also try to attach the forms uh, to try to speed up this process if yeah. people don't want to wait up to two years. Yeah, I'd encourage you know anyone who's got um, eligibility under the current law to apply soon, and you know for those who will will be eligible in April to start getting the documents they need together, um, because it is you know historically it's a process that takes six to nine months to navigate because there are all these sort of administrative tasks that need to happen behind the scenes from the uh, FBI background check to the review by the local prosecutor, uh, victim notification needs to happen if, um, if there is a registered victim. So um, getting the process moving sooner rather than later, I, I would certainly recommend, you know, even, you know, even six months longer sort of without access to, opportunity, you know, is, is, is not good. <laughs> we want people to get going, you know, as quickly as they can. Well, John Cooper from Safe and Just Michigan, thanks for being on Open Mic today. I learned a lot. I hope others did too. Thank you for all your hard work. And I look forward to either seeing you in Lansing next year, fighting for bail reform and other good things, or having you back on the show to talk about expungement or other exciting issues you guys are working on. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, take care. Yeah, you too.
John Cooper, that was really interesting. So now you know how to get any crimes on your record that don't fall into certain categories expunged. We're going to put all of the information that John talked about in our show notes. Check out his website. It's an impressive website talking about all the things that they're doing. You can donate. You can learn. You can have the resources. If you know somebody with a crime on their record, forward them this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast. Like this podcast. Comment. Tell us other things that you want us to cover because we're having fun here at Open Mic. We're approaching 100 episodes. We appreciate all of the support that we're getting, all of the watches, all of the listens. Thank you. Grateful for all you listeners and watchers out there. And we'll see you next time.